right, Lone Star Gunners, welcome to the program. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills. This is the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and I am glad that you're here today. We have a lot to discuss, all of which is focused around Judge Brett Kavanaugh, who, as all of you, I am sure, are aware, is the D.C. Circuit Judge that has been nominated by President Trump to uh, fulfill uh, to fill uh, Anthony Kennedy's spot on the Supreme Court. Now, I have said several times in the past about what the Supreme Court's role should be and how this shouldn't matter, but unfortunately, the world we live in uh, kind of dictates its importance. But before we get into all that, I want to thank our sponsor here at Lone Star Gun Talk, and that is Provident Metals. If you're anything like me, looking at the national debt, the continued government spending, the uh, impending trade war between the United States and China and maybe several other countries kind of has you worried. And the way that I help hedge myself against the continued devaluation of the dollar is to invest in precious metals, and that's why I shop at Provident Metals. Provident Metals is an online bullion dealer based right here in the Lone Star State, and they are offering exclusive discounts on select bullion items to our listeners. Go to www.providentmetals.com slash guntalk.html to see a full list of all of the featured products that are discounted for Lone Star Gun Talk listeners. Or you can call them at 1-800-313-3315 and be sure to enter the promo code, promo code GUNTALK at checkout to receive 10% off. All orders of $99 or more get free shipping and veterans be sure to call and ask about their military discount. Alright, so let's get into this. Brett Kavanaugh has been nominated to the Supreme Court and uh, he's very likely to get confirmed by the Senate. And... A lot of people have been curious as to where he stands on certain issues. What can we expect from him as a justice of the Supreme Court? And so I started looking at some of his past uh, rulings. And some that I found were okay. Some that I found were great. And others that I found were kind of disturbing, to say the least. Uh, So... This being a a you know a gun rights podcast, Lone Star Gun Rights being a gun rights organization, I'm going to start here with um, Judge Kavanaugh's ruling from 2011 regarding the Second Amendment. The case is Heller v. District of Columbia, as all of you, I'm sure, are aware of the Heller decision. Now, you know as well as I do. I've said it before that I will not cite Heller to back up my case. However, um, this uh, ruling does fall in line with our ideologies. Now, it's important to note here, as well as in every other case that I'm going to bring up, that as a district judge, not only is he bound by the Constitution, but he is also bound by precedent established by the Supreme Court and other senior courts. Uh, The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is actually the second to last stop before the Supreme Court, so 
really he's bound by past Supreme Court rulings. And uh, that will come into play here a little bit later whenever we talk about things like uh, Roe v. Wade and uh, a couple other things. But now in this, one of the things that I am not too crazy about is the fact that he cites the former Heller case. Now, this is a Heller case, but it is more of an appeals portion. Um, the background says this. Shortly after the Supreme Court issued its decision in Heller, the D.C. Council passed emergency legislation in an effort to conform the district's laws to the Supreme Court's holding while it considered permanent legislation. The Council's Committee on Public Safety and the Judiciary then held three public hearings on the subject. Um, the plaintiffs char uh, challenge a host of provisions of the new scheme for firearm for regulating firearms. First, they object to the general requirement that owners register their firearms, DC code cites it. Uh, in particular, the plaintiffs charge the following requirements that any that apply each time a person applies to the Metropolitan Police Department for a registration uh, certificate. And they basically say you have to disclose certain information about yourself, such as name, address, and occupation, and about the firearm. Submit ballistics identification procedure for each pistol to be registered although ballistics testing is not required for long guns. Appear in person at the Metropolitan Police Department's request and bring with him the firearm to be registered. Register no more than one pistol in a 30-day period and renew each registration certificate, quote, three years after the date of issuance. In order to renew the certificate, the applicant must submit a statement attesting to his current address, possession of the firearm, and compliance with the registration requirements. Okay, so that's a lot of things that uh, the D.C. Council passed after the Supreme Court ruled in Heller in order to try and make this more um, suitable for the Supreme Court's decision. Now, it goes into a few other things, but uh, here is the ruling that Judge Kavanaugh handed down. Now, a lot of this is paraphrased because of the fact that it is a very long decision, but I will link uh, all of these cases in the show notes for you should you want to take a look at them yourself. Okay, so here's part of his ruling. The court, held in, uh, the court in Heller recognized yet another, quote, limitation on the right to keep and carry arms, namely that the, quote, sorts of weapons protected are those, quote, in common use at the time for lawful purposes like self-defense. The court found this limitation fairly supported by the historical tradition of prohibiting the carrying of dangerous and unusual weapons. Because the prohibi prohibitions at issue, unlike the registration requirements, apply only to a particular class of weapons, we must also ask whether the prohibited weapons are typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. Now, he continues here and says the plaintiffs contend that semi-automatic rifles in particular the ar variants are commonly possessed for self-protection in the home as well as for sport they also urge that magazines holding more than 10 rounds are commonly possessed for self-defense and for other lawful purposes uh, the district by contrast argues that neither assault weapons nor weapons with large capacity magazines are among the quote arms protected by the second amendment 
because they are both dangerous and unusual. We think it clear enough in, in the record that semi-automatic rifles and magazines holding more than 10 rounds are indeed a common use as the plaintiffs contend. Approximately 1.6 million AR-15s alone have been manufactured since 1986, and in 2007, this one particular model accounted for 5.5% of all firearms and 14.4% of all rifles produced in the U.S. for the domestic market. So you can see here that he is uh, using the Heller case as well as the Second Amendment to back up his ruling. And so on the Second Amendment, uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh seems to re be pretty solid. And we might have some Second Amendment cases going up to the Supreme Court uh, that have to do with the National Firearms Act as it relates to intrastate commerce. And so it will be interesting to see how he would rule on something like that. I can't really speculate, um, but what I do have of him ruling on Second Amendment grounds, I am quite impressed with. However, on the flip side of that, there is a, a an issue that is important to a lot of you out there uh, that has nothing to do with gun rights, uh, and that would be the issue of abortion and uh, how Roe v. Wade will be, uh, well, the future of Roe v. Wade. Now, I know that a lot of you um, believe that uh, Roe v. Wade will be overturned, and I do not believe that to be the case. Even with um, Brett Kavanaugh on the on the Supreme Court, keep in mind, in the 1970s when Roe v. Wade was was decided, it was a majority of Republicans that were on the Supreme Court. Um, so we need to keep that in mind, and also understand that in order for something like that to be overturned, you would need another case to be brought up that would then need to be appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court in order for them to either rule in favor or against those same uh, conditions. So I do not think that Roe v. Wade will be uh, overturned. However, there might be some cases where, uh, say, some state laws on restricting abortion, say, after or before or after 20 weeks or... Uh, if the heartbeat is present or what have you, that might end up at the Supreme Court. Where this might pose a problem is, uh, I'm going to play for you a uh, snippet of Brett Kavanaugh's uh, testimony when he was first being um, confirmed to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and this was in 2006. And again, keep in mind that a district court is bound by precedent, which is important here, but pay close attention to his answers here. Uh, Roe v. Wade to be an abomination. I, and do you consider yourself to be a judicial nominee like the president said he was going to nominate people in the mold of Scalia and Thomas? Senator, on the question of Roe v. Wade, if confirmed to the D.C. Circuit, I would follow Roe v. Wade faithfully and fully. That would be binding precedent in the court. It's been decided by the Supreme Court. As to your own opinion. And, I, and I'm saying if I were confirmed to the D.C. Circuit, Senator, I would follow it. It's been reaffirmed many times, including in Planned Parenthood versus... I understand, Kate. but what is your opinion? You're not on the bench yet. You've talked about these issues in the past to other people, I'm sure. 
the Supreme Court has held repeatedly, Senator, and I don't think it would okay. be appropriate for me to give a personal view on that question. case. How about being in the mold of Scalia and Thomas? Uh, I don't uh, want to talk about current members of the court, but I do think I can describe some of the justices or judges in the past that I think I would try that have been role models to me, including Justice White, Justice Jackson, and for a couple reasons. They were people who took an active part in our government system, which That's, is something. I understand. Uh, just explain to me why it's appropriate for the president to say that he will appoint nominees in a particular mold, but you can't answer whether you would be part of that. As a potential inferior court judge, uh, Senator, on the D.C. Circuit, if confirmed, I just don't want to talk about currently uh, sitting members of the Supreme Court. I'm happy to talk about Justice Jackson and Justice White, if you'd like. Okay. I wish I could say it, but I don't think you've clarified any of these answers that we asked you the first time. All right. So as you can hear from that, there it was a long line of dialogue talking about how the Supreme Court upheld Roe v. Wade on numerous occasions. Uh, and he keeps repeating that uh, he would be bound by that precedent. Um, but the way he talks about the Supreme Court upholding it is, seems to be as if he um, would also rule that way should he be on the Supreme Court. Now, granted, this was 2006 when he was being confirmed as the um, judge on the Supreme or on the uh, D.C. Court of Appeals. Uh, but I don't think that I don't think that um, should he have a case where he would have to rule one way or the other on abortion. Um, I don't, depending on circumstances, if it were straight up to overturn Roe v. Wade, I do not think that he would be a vote uh, to overturn that. I think that he might uphold some uh, restrictions on abortions that states might issue, but uh, I don't think that he would be willing to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade entirely. Now, keep in mind, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, uh, that doesn't mean that abortion is now illegal or banned. It just means that states can uh, enact regulation and, and restrictions on it or outright ban it. But in states like California and New York, uh, you're still going to have abortion being quite legal. Um, so it's not going to be an end to abortion. So just keep that in mind as well. Now, in the second half of that question, uh, that line of questioning, he was asked about whether or not he would be in the mold of Justice Scalia or Justice Thomas. Now, he brings up two uh, justices that were um, past justices, one being Byron White and the other being Robert Jackson. Now, Byron White uh, was nominated by John F. Kennedy, and he served from 1962 until 1993. Now, what is interesting about uh, him bringing up White is that White was a dissenting uh, voice in Roe v. Wade. So I do think that that kind of gives his personal feelings a little bit as far as that case is concerned. But again, like I said, I don't think that he will be uh, one to vote to overturn it. The other justice that he brings up is Robert H. Jackson, who was appointed by FDR in 1941, and he served from 41 until 54. Uh, I know that I have brought up the Korematsu v. United States case several times on this show. 
Um, and I am really happy to uh, say that Justice Jackson was one of the three dissenting votes in that case. And he also apparently had a, a big feud with Hugo Black, who was uh, another justice on the Supreme Court. And Hugo Black was a real piece of work. Um, this man was an awful human being, just a downright uh, racist and um just in my mind, he was quite an evil person just based off of his rulings. And um, Justice Jackson had a huge feud with him, which kind of makes me feel good also. Uh, he was a kind of an advocate for individual liberty based off of what I do know about him. So the fact that uh, Kavanaugh would bring up these two in particular does give me a bit of relief as far as how I think he will uh, rule on cases, um, but there is one other thing that kind of has me held up, and that has to do with Obamacare. Now, um, everybody is very familiar with the Supreme Court ruling changing the language of the Obamacare law, saying that, no, it's not a fine, it's a tax. Well, that idea actually came from Brett Kavanaugh. The, uh, the case, which was Seven Sky v. Holder, made Obamacare the law of the land by changing the entire funding mechanism that allowed it to work. And this was one of, this was one of the ru worst rulings that we've had in the past you know, couple of decades. And it really was legislating from the bench because the way that the bill was written was to indeed make it a fine and not a tax. Now, in this ruling on the D.C. Court of Appeals, it says, Kavanaugh Circuit Judge dissenting as to jurisdiction and not deciding the merits. And he says, the Affordable Care Act is usually significant federal, is unusually significant federal legislation that will affect all Americans. One provision of the act requires most Americans to maintain health insurance or else pay a tax penalty when they file their annual tax returns. That provision, commonly referred to as the individual mandate, is codified in the tax code and takes effect in 2014. The tax penalty for those without health insurance is capped at the average price of the health insurance plan. The tax penalty is only sanctioned for failing to have health insurance, and the IRS, and only the IRS, may assess, collect, and enforce the tax penalty. The Anti-Injunction Act applies here because the plaintiff's pre-enforcement suit, if successful, would prevent the IRS from assessing or collecting tax penalties from citizens who do not have health insurance. To be sure, and pay attention to this, to be sure the Affordable Care Act labels its exaction for failure to have health insurance as a tax penalty and not as a tax. But the Anti-Injunction Act still applies. That's because the Affordable Care Act re uh, requires that the tax penalty for failure to maintain health insurance, quote, be assessed and collected in the same manner as accessible penalty under subchapter B of chapter 68 of the tax code. Now, 
that right there was the first time that a judge had made the distinction between a penalty and a tax. And while I don't have anything to really, um, you know, solidify tying Kavanaugh's ruling here with what um, John Roberts did whenever the Supreme Court ruled, it's very, very interesting that at no time before this had that had a judge made that distinction. And I believe that you could make a valuable case against Brett Kavanaugh as being the reason why Obamacare was was upheld at the Supreme Court. And that right there gives me great pause for what type of justice he would be. He essentially took the legislation and admits in his ruling that it has to change in order for it to fit the bill. And that is the very epitome of legislating from the bench. We gave John Roberts so much grief as Chief Justice for making that decision. This same sort of scrutiny should be applied to Brett Kavanaugh as a member of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals for making the same ruling before John Roberts did. So that's something that really, really needs to be looked at. And I really think that that sort of thing should be cause of incredible pause for anybody willing to confirm him to the Supreme Court. It should be asked about and it should be... Um, it, we we kind of deserve answers on that because it really did change a lot of things for us in the United States. And we still don't have it repealed. We have a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican in the White House. And when Obama was president, the Republican-led House voted over 60 times to repeal Obamacare in full. And we haven't yet done it once since... Trump has been in office and that right there should be very telling so what are my overall thoughts I do not think that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be an awful justice on the Supreme Court uh, there were definitely people on his list on uh, President Trump's list that I did not want to see on the Supreme Court Brett Kavanaugh was not one of those I definitely had um other people whom I preferred. Uh, but Brett Kavanaugh, I do not think, will be a bad justice. He's not going to be great. I don't think he's going to be as liberal as uh, Anthony Kennedy. And I do not think he's going to be as much of a swing vote as John Roberts is. But I also do not think that he's going to be a strict textualist whenever it comes to the Constitution. Um, I think that he will fall more along the lines of precedent as established by past courts than he will to um, make his own decisions as a case were to arise. On the Second Amendment, yeah, he w has been kind of solid for what I've seen. However, his whole citation of, uh, of Heller, which does have some very bad things in it, that say that you cannot, uh, there are limits to the Second Amendment, which you know I don't agree with. I don't think that he's going to be great. 
but I don't think he's going to be awful. Oh, there is one more case that I want to quick cover really quickly, and that is uh, Clayman v. Obama. And this has to do with Fourth Amendment protections, and it is it is another one that is quite worrisome. Um, basically, he he wrote this in his opinion. Even if the bulk collection of telephony metadata constitutes a search, the Fourth Amendment does not bar all searches and seizures. It bars only unreasonable searches and seizures. And the government's metadata collection program readily qualifies as reasonable under the Supreme Court's case law. The Fourth Amendment allows governmental searches and seizures without individualized suspicion when the government demonstrates a, a sufficient special need, that is, a need beyond the normal need for law enforcement, that outweighs the intrusion on individual liberty. Uh, this is also one thing that I find to be very troubling with Kavanaugh's past rulings. And I think that whenever it comes to more Fourth Amendment cases, he will rule very similarly on uh, the side of big government as opposed to individual liberties. And um, that does give me even more pause. But like I said, I don't think he will be an awful justice. I just don't think he will be a great one. I do not think that Roe v. Wade will be under overturned, uh, no matter who we placed on the Supreme Court. And um, I do not think that he will be as much of a home run as a lot of Republicans claim that he will be. Anyway, everything that I have discussed here, uh, including the video f uh, from his conf confirmation in 2006, I will place in the show notes for you so you can take a look at everything that I have done here, uh, covered here in full. And if you have any other questions, by all means, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter uh, or Facebook and ask your questions. I will begin those starting next week. I also don't have to, uh, either letter or speech to read to you from our founding fathers this week uh, because I am on vacation with my wife. But I will pick that up again beginning next week and um, we will go from there. Again, if you have questions, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, uh, shoot me an email and uh, we will get those answered for you. And until next Monday, Lone Star Gunners, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production, hosted and edited by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2018.